0: Hello, and welcome to episode one of the People Still Read Books podcast. I'm Will Leach. I'm the host of this podcast under the Starburns Network, which owns our Greatest Leach podcast. Hope you're enjoying that one. The idea of this podcast, as we do our first episode today with Linda Holmes, the author of the book Every Drake Starts Over, the New York Times bestseller. She is a host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, and just generally great person. The idea of this podcast is I've got a book coming out called How Lucky. What's well, called Lucky? was called How Lucky. It's a John Prine song. Anyway, the idea of this podcast is it has been 10 years since I wrote a book. The industry has changed a lot in that time. Uh, a lot of things are different. My life is different. There are two children that live in my house, for example. They're mine. I didn't just like rent them. The point is, I don't know what I'm in for. And so what I thought I might do is I might talk to some of my friends or just talk to some authors I admire or people who wrote books that I think are really good and talk to them about their books, kind of about their process, about what it was like going through this. I can't think of anyone that's more closely aligned to my experience with my book then Linda, who, as you'll hear on this podcast, had not actually recorded it yet, so I assume you'll hear it. Decided that at one point she was it was a resolution. She actually announced it on her podcast that she was going to write a book this year. So she had never written a novel before. She'd written, obviously written. She's a lovely writer. I've read her stuff, uh, um, a lot of her stuff. But I, she'd never actually written a novel before. So she just went and did it. And Waymo, she had a bestseller and wrote a terrific book. So I'm going to talk to her about that, what all that was like, uh, what uh, this experience, and what I'm kind of in for. That's the whole idea of this podcast. We're also just going to talk about people's books and uh, why people, uh, you listeners, should read them. So I'm setting up like a Twitter account and an email address and all that sort of stuff for this podcast. I haven't done that yet, but I'll announce that on later podcasts. But for now, uh, bear with me because this is the first show. But here is Linda Holmes talking about Evie Drake, starts over. Ms. Linda Holmes, I am Mr. Will Leach. Thank you for being my first guest on the People Still Read Books podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here.
0: It's very possible, by the way. uh, This is the first one, but like, you know, I have a couple people lined up, but it's possible that this goes so well that I'm like, you know what, I'll just retire. Like, this is it. I don't need to do any more. That's the hope. Uh, I think in the history of podcasts, that's actually happened, but not because they've, there's only been one podcast. But I don't think that's been the reason generally. that, that <laughs> Yeah, happens. I, I uh, think
1: I think if you if you went numerically through the most popular number of episodes for a podcast, just strictly statistically, it's probably like four. You know, I feel like I
0: feel like the median number is probably like a quarter. <laughs> like <laughs> Get them all together. There's, there's been uh, people have launched it, but they never did. Anyway, so, uh, so thank you for doing this. So, the, as mentioned to you, uh, the premise of the podcast is again, I have a book coming out in May called How Lucky. It was called Lucky. Now it's called How Lucky, and I'll get into the one of the reasons that is, which is one of the questions I have for you. Not that you did it, but it's a part of the business I'm kind of curious about. But you your book every every Drake starts over is a wonderful book i i love the book and not just because again i have been obsessed with the career of rick and keel uh my entire life but uh, i love the book and your yours is a new york times bestseller but also you obviously you have a very su- successful career but you had never written a novel before and so i'm hoping that you can guide you know, I want to talk about your book and also perhaps guide me through what I'm in for uh, a little bit, because it's been 10 years since I wrote a book and uh, nothing else in media has changed in right. 10 years. So <laughs> right. Well, would change at all. So, or, so, well,
1: so yeah. And, and, you know, or in the last, uh, in the last year and a half, since I was putting my book out. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. so how did your press tour on zoom go? Oh, right. <laughs> right. You know, you have it beforehand. Uh, exactly. But, and, well, that's OK. Well, we're going to have the vaccine by May. And uh, so uh, we're going to be <clears throat> fine. All I know is my wife is just she's like, we're having a book party. I don't know how but I've had to hear you yak about this book for two years. So one way or another, we're having a book party. So
1: good, good. Uh, do it.
0: She's insistent. So here's my question. So talk about I guess one of the first questions is really your kind of process you know I know that uh, you had announced on your podcast that you were going to write a book I, I'd love to go back and listen to that initial podcast to, to be like to, to, it feels, feels like such foreshadowing now the idea that that uh, you were going to write a, it was like a resolution to write a book to write a book and you know this is something you heard a lot during the pandemic people in the early particularly early on when they, people thought like oh it'll be like a a, a gap couple of months before mm-hmm. we realized it was going to go on forever people had be like this is the time to finally write that book, uh, that, that book, how long did it take you to do it? And, and once you decided to sit down and do it, did you know what it was? It was the idea first and then the book, or you're like, I'm going to write a book and then you figured out what you were going to do.
1: Um, I had had the idea for this book and sort of the short, uh, elevator pitch for the book is it's about a young woman who is, it's about a young widow who, uh, is living alone in her house and she rents out the the sort of in law apartment in the back of her uh, her house to a baseball player who uh, has been sort of um, uh, driven out of baseball because he got the yips. Um, and so I have had this idea or or some parts of this idea for many years, like like ten at least. Um, and in twenty twelve, right? So the book came out in twenty. Nineteen. I finished it in 2017, and in 2012, I sort of, for the first time, made a significant push to try to write some of it. Um, I picked it up and put it down many times over the next, uh, you know, let's say four years or so. Um, and then uh, I found that in the in the fall of 2016, that was a a stressful kind of um, moment in many mm-hmm. of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I sort of needed someplace to put a lot of uh, a lot of kind of nervous energy and just concern about the world and all that. So I started to work on it more seriously. And when I started that push, I probably had about 20 percent of a book at that time. So I started working on it. And yeah, then in our in our resolutions and predictions episode at the beginning of 2017, I said, I really want to finish this book. I said, I don't know if I'll ever sell it. I don't know if anybody will ever read it, but I want to finish it. Cause I had wanted to finish a novel since I was a little kid and I had never done it. So, um, so I just wanted to finish it. And I finished it actually uh, at the end of March and uh, yeah, finished it in the end of at the end of March, got an agent edited with her sold it over the summer um and then it took about another two years for it to come out so
0: when you're in that process because you know my what i did with my book was i had not written for a long time i just wrote i didn't even tell my agent i was doing it i had not i had not written a book for him for 10 for 10 years so i don't know why he would have thought i was going to be working on anything and then right I, and, and because this is the type of thing that annoying people uh like me do i literally printed it out at a Kinko's and handed it to him handed it to him over dinner uh, on a trip mm-hmm. to New York and at some point. He's like, oh, great. This is I'm glad you had your moment, Will, but now I actually have to carry this thing all the way around <laughs> the rest of the evening, which I thought was a good point. Uh, but, for, you know, so the point of that is that, like, I – the the first person I showed it to was my wife, and the second person I showed it to was him. And really what I said was – can you get this published? Like, I, I don't, I'm not sweating it. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't need to get rich all of the, off of this. If this mm-hmm. turns out to be the university of Boise experimental press, that is fine. I, I, <laughs> I, I just, as if it gets out, I'm happy. And he's like, well, I mean, hope I can at least get the Boise press on your side. But for me, the point is that like so much of it was, um, I had written, I've written books before, Uh, but so much of it for me was based in the process. Like I want this to be scene like as opposed to, and for you i'm curious like was when you were writing it were you thinking i think we're going to be able to sell this thing or was it like this is just something that i need to get done how much just the idea of the publication part of it while you were writing it, or even as you started to finish it was actually kind of real prevalent in your mind
1: i definitely had always felt like i wanted to to publish a novel i had definitely always that had always been something that i sort of I don't know, sort of somewhere between fantasized about doing and dreamed about doing and, and aspired to do. Um, but but by the time I was, you know, when this happened, when this process kind of started, I was in my mid 40s and I had kind of, you know, mostly put that aside until this kind of bigger push in the in the fall of 2016. So I think it was definitely true that while I was writing it, I was thinking I would love to publish this. But at the same time, I also felt very unqualified to be doing it. And I felt like, you know, I've never like, you know, I I don't have an MFA. I've never really studied writing. I haven't been to like, workshops. And uh, so in a way, I felt, um, I felt like it could be a terrible, terrible mistake to try to show to show it to anyone, it, it's one of the hardest things I, I did was just deciding to show it to someone. The first person who ever read a version of this book from front to back uh, was Alan Sepinwall, actually, um, just because we were pals and he was curious and and he read it and and liked it. Um, and I showed it to a couple of friends, but the first people that I that I showed it to, who I didn't know, were agents when I was trying to get an agent, um, and that process, knowing that there were people out there reading it who I didn't know was extraordinarily upsetting yeah. at first. like just really unsettling and strange. and uh, I, I I did not like it at first. Um, and it it felt like a very, very, very long time before, you know, people started to to get back to me and and give some feedback that, yes, they thought maybe it was publishable with with some work. And so, yeah, it's. It, I wanted to publish it. But but I didn't know if that was at all a realistic idea. So
0: when was the satisfying part for the first satisfying part, like when you finished it? Well, I, this book that, I, that I've that i got coming out has definitely gotten more editing than any other book. It's just gone through mm-hmm. more revisions. It's definitely done to a lot more. And, and a lot of that's because you know, my old books were like essays or like, you know, old or a young adult book. Not to say that they weren't put together and I didn't care about them, but this has been more of a process. It turns out that plot, it's like you, you hammer one thing down another thing pops back up. Linda. It's yes. very annoying.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's
0: true. So did you... My my point is that like before it got to the to to that point, did you get that catharsis the first time? Like when when you had it done, you're like, no matter what happens, even if this never gets published, whatever happens, I said I was gonna do this and I did it.
1: Yes. I I went so I was out, uh, I had found a place to go kind of out in rural Virginia, that I could go and sit and have quiet and try to finish it, try to finish the first draft of it. And when I finished the first draft of it, it was sort of in the general area where Colonial Williamsburg is. So if you read the acknowledgments in the book, it says uh, the FedEx office in Colonial Williamsburg or near Colonial Williamsburg. And that's because when I was done with it, I took it there. And just like you said, I had it printed because I just wanted to look at it. I just wanted to hold it. Um, so, yeah, I found that really satisfying, even though at that time I knew that it was a, a long way from being anything except, you know, a, a bunch of words that I had written. But, yes, I definitely, like, I held it in my hand. I, you know, it, it was very satisfying just to finish it.
0: So you get the agent. Uh, how how long does the process go from that from when you send it out to an agent and then the agent gets it and says, OK, we're going to clean this up. We're going to do these revisions and then we're going to try to send it out. How long is that process at this point and how uh, how agonizing and or exciting was that?
1: It was really fun because by the time so I I got my agent, I think I, I think I, I sort of connected with her sometime probably in late April or early May. Because like I said, I had finished the first draft at the end of March. I definitely worked a little bit more on it. Uh, I, th- I would say April or May, and then uh, she started to send it out, and uh, that of course is a is a really you know terrifying moment also. Um, and I remember when we first got interest from somebody, I remember her kind of saying, "Well, if you want, this is going to get published. That's what that means, you know, because they because somebody had said like we would offer X, um, and she said if you know it's going to be a book." And, uh, so that happened, I think that was all happening in, uh, like June and, and July that that was, that I was doing those phone calls and things. Cause it sold, it sold, well, no, cause it sold in late August, I think. No, late July. So, uh, we actually did the, the ultimately sold it, it sold it at the end of, of July when I was out at uh, television critics association, actually in Beverly Hills, uh, working. So. So and so, when that happens, because it's fun, one
0: thing I, I feel like I've been very fortunate about is the person that bought the book, Noah Eker at uh, Harper, is the is the one that bought my book. And I did not know him. I did not. I I, I kind of like you. I don't do not have an MFA. I took one writing class and left it after. To be fair, it was my senior year of college, and it was an eight a.m. class. Like the idea mm-hmm. that I signed up for that class in the first place was a mistake. But I dropped it very quickly because it seemed to me. I always think of the old Roger Ebert line of uh, the muse visits during the act of creation, not before, which Uh is to say uh, you sit down and start working. And I felt like there was more people talking about writing than necessarily Mm -hmm. writing. So that world is not something that I'm really comfortable with and really know a lot about. And so, you know, for me, I didn't know who my editor was. I read books, but I don't. Like, I do not consider myself, I know more about baseball than I do about novels. That would be a fair sense, generally speaking. And so for me, I feel like, it turns out that I have a great editor and it's very exciting to have that person who's reading your book and cares about it, but is also smarter than you are about this. Mm-hmm. stuff. It is a really, really exciting. Sure. It's, it's somewhat similar to like, as I said, I have editors, I have tons of editors at all the places that I write, but this is something that is obviously much more personal. How, did it, how, did you know quickly that you'd found the right person? Did you, did, did you know, did the editor like pitch themselves to you? Uh, when did you know that, like, okay, this is the right person, I'm excited about this particular relationship, which is, you know, going to be going on for a while?
1: Yeah, my my agent, uh, Sarah Burns, is the one who chose really the editors to send it out to, based on who she thought would respond to it. Um, she, fortunately, had such a keen kind of understanding both of what the book was and also who I was and what I cared about, that I think— I was never really at risk of winding up with the wrong editor because she was so smart about about choosing the the pool of people to send it to. So she sent it to a number of people. and and honest, honestly, I think several of those editors would have been great. Um I felt like I had nothing but good choices. Um, but Sarah Weiss, who became my editor uh, at valentine, sarah, who who bought the book, um, I knew a couple people who had worked with her, uh, who had worked with her some, who had nothing but nice things to say about her. But also, I think it's one of those things that you just have to go a little bit on on instinct in terms of when you talk to the person, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about what they have to say about the book? Um, and it was really important to me to distinguish, like, because of the stuff that we're talking about, because I hadn't done a lot of studying of fiction, right? But I've done tons and tons and tons of writing. I have a relatively, you know, I, I'm fairly confident in my ability to write a good sentence. But there's also all kinds of stuff about structure and pacing and things like that that are specific to novel writing that I knew I was going to need a lot of help with. And so Sarah, you know, was very good about like she she wasn't so much, you know nitpicking here and there it would be sort of like this part is slow this part is 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 better paced I think we need to take out some of these sections because they repeat um so it was it was a matter of both like that she was the right person but also kind of having a sense with her of what I most needed editing on um so you know at the beginning in the first edit I added a lot and the book got a lot longer because I was kind of filling out stuff that she felt we needed more sort of explanation of or detail about. And then it got in the next edit, it got a lot shorter again, some of which was taking out stuff that I had written that we had decided ultimately it didn't need. And some of which was taking out stuff that had been in there originally. So it's just, you know, we went through several edits and in the end, I, I, I was very happy with it. I enjoyed being edited um i enjoyed the process of working with her uh very much
0: did you lose something is there one section that you still itch that you would have, that you lost you understand why it was taken out but you miss it
1: <laughs> you know i will tell you this like as i as i said the book uh is about a pitcher who gets the yips and originally the sort of the history of the yips that i wrote for the book was a lot longer than it is in the um in the final just because it is such a fascinating thing to study um and it is a fascinating complicated uh psychologically devastating and still really largely unexplained phenomenon and i had you know done so much reading about so many people who had had this happen to them and ultimately we did you know we did decide like probably this could be a little shorter um and i i missed it but in a way i i, I think it was still highly relevant that i did it and i kept the stuff that i thought was the most like i kept in there um chuck Noblock hitting keith elberman's mother <laughs> which is the best story of the Yips ever, in my opinion. Uh, She was fine. Um, Good. But, like, imagine. (laughs) But think about how this, to me, is the Yips, right? Think about how, out of all the people who are there, not only does he throw it into the stands, not only does he hit an older lady, but he hits not a sportscaster, but a sportscaster's mother. (laughs) It's an amazing story. And so I kept like the mo- the best details. But yeah, that-, that part was a lot longer.
0: Yeah, specifically that broadcast sportscaster too. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> oh, I always thought that was a nice. I can confirm it. I don't know if I've actually told you this. You know, I have actually talked to Rick Keel about your book. I actually mentioned your book. I ran into him because there was a documentary. The uh, MLB and the Players Tribune did a documentary about Rick Ankiel. Oh and yes, I, yes,
1: yes! And uh, I was like, trying to. We talked about that. I kept yeah. trying to DVR it, and it never was on.
0: Yes, it was very frustrating to the family too because they kept they kept putting it at the end of playoff games, which it inevitably go four and a half hours. So they right. kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So it was very frustrating to them. But I ran. I did not meet him when I was doing when I when I was the talking head for. I was kind of the the not the narrator but the uh, every once they cu- they cut back they cut back and I I give like and then this happened it was that right. crazy and then they and then he's like yeah sp- sports writers like that jerk i uh, thought it was funny but it hurt me and all that sort of <laughs> stuff and yeah. uh, but so and so I, he and i had interacted before because i've written about him uh so much and so then i for out of nowhere this year at the Atlanta Braves Cardinals game 5 in LDS i was there with my parents and my dad comes over he went of course he was at the buffet and uh, dad comes over because we fa- we had fancy seats and dad comes over, he's like, You never believe who I just ran into. I ran into Rick Kiel. I told him about you. <laughs> I was like, Well, I think he knows he, he's here. And he's like, he's like, Oh yeah, I told him I was your dad. And next thing I know, Ankiel comes over. And so oh, I met him. And so we talked for like 15, 20 minutes, and I mentioned your book. Oh, wow. <laughs> We've been out for for a while. And he did not know about it. And I'm like, well, trust me, you are, it's not you, to be clear. It's not you, but it's inspired by a similar situation, and you are a romantic hero. And he oh, it's
1: that. true. It's true. And, I, and you know what's really funny? When I wrote the book, there's a passage in the book where the the player says, um, "It was like trying to pitch with somebody else's arm," um, which was just a thing that I wrote based off of like what I had read about having the ups. And then I read his book, and in his book, which I read, I swear to you, after mm-hmm. I had written that it said something about it was like trying to pitch with a with somebody else's arm and i thought that is <laughs> well my first thought was people are going to think i stole that
0: <laughs> oh yeah he screamed about that for an hour ago no, he
1: did yeah exactly <laughs> um but uh but yeah it was it was very yeah i those guys man it's just such a it is such a a such a thing such i actually a- think his
0: autobiography is uh, in the very motley genre of athlete autobiographies, I would argue it's actually one of the better ones. I think it's actually kind of interesting to see kind of what his he goes through in his head. Uh,
1: I agree. That. I agree. And, I, you know, there are um there are several people who have written books, you know, that either are about or touch on this this same phenomenon. And it's it's you know, what I discovered was, you know, they they all have different theories of you know how they wound up in this situation and there's a little uh 30 for 30 short with Mackie Sasser and he has a different theory about sort of what happened to him anyway yes very interesting
0: they all have different names for it too I always find that interesting (laughs) they have like different specific names for it but anyway okay so I'll be here in the channel forever so I'm curious your book, uh, you know, it, it, it seemed there was obviously before anything happened with the Today Show, which we'll which we'll get into. Before any of that happened, there was definitely like it got a really good Kirkus review, which is always a thing that everybody gets really excited about. Like it was clearly something that people were excited about. How involved were you as someone that again works in the media? Like this is you're not you didn't come back from Yado and uh, for after a year and a half and be like, okay, promote my book. How does this work? Uh, you know, I mean, you work in the media, I work in the media, so I certainly. Uh, i know among my people there is an expectation that well we'll be able to do something right he writes for everywhere yeah <laughs> and, and like he'll be able to put this somewhere i'm uh before you got to kind of the the, the first thing of today show how involved were you how involved did they want you to be uh how kind of on top of the quote-unquote plan for for the marketing and so on uh were you
1: I mean, I knew I knew a, a good amount about what it, about what they had planned. Um, but some of the biggest things that happened were things where, uh, you know, it, it would always just be a really nice thing when they would write and they would say, uh, you know, we've got a we've got a thing where they're going to write about it. They, you know, they they wrote about the book in People. I did a I did a, a thing in uh, Entertainment Weekly about um about, I think, debut, I think it was debut um, books. And uh, it it was really, um, it it was always fun when those things came up. I paid attention to it, but I also knew that I didn't know anything about it. So stuff like marketing and publicity, um, even stuff like the cover. um, I was very, uh, I was involved, but I was very agreeable because I felt like, you know, I don't know anything about marketing fiction, so
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've been kind of the same way, and I wonder if it's because uh, we're not twenty three. Right. <laughs> and like, like there's a little part of me that like, like there. If I, if I written a book that, I mean, this is definitely the most ambitious of my books. If I written something like this when I was twenty five, I can totally see my, me being the okay. That is not what my book represents. That right. is not, and like, and I'm now I'm just like, you know what. I, we are adults and you are professional adults and I'm just going to kind of trust the process.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I think one of the things that happened too is that if you've, if you've reviewed a lot of things, right, you and I both have seen many things that we thought were wonderful that for some reason nobody paid attention to. And it's very hard to say why. They seem to be commercial. They seem to be likable. They seem to be available. They seem to be similar to other things that people responded to. Why in the heck didn't anybody respond to this? hard to say. So I, you know, intellectually, right? Emotionally, if nobody reads it, you you know it's going to be very hard on you. But intellectually, I think I had some I was steeled a little bit for you just never know what's going to happen. Something comes out, it works or it doesn't. But just as you say, I do think the amount of experience that I have had writing about and talking about how things are marketed and and how little that sometimes relates to what the person maybe thinks the thing is, means that I was much less, you know, I wasn't touchy about things like women's fiction, chick lit summer books, like I didn't have a lot of, you know, I didn't have a lot of sensitivities about those kinds of things. Um, And there are people who do to to whom those things are really important Um, and maybe more than anything, whether it was referred to as a romance, um, which for some people is like super coded and, you know, feels diminishing and all this other stuff. It doesn't feel that way to me. Um, But, yeah, I was, I think, more laid back about some of those things than I would have been if this had happened um, when I was younger, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I—I I, hold me to this as we get closer, but I think as as something that that like you, you know, I wrote for myself. Like I was not given a. The, the, I, this is not like a, like to me the hardest book that I I had to do was God Save the Fan, which was a that came out right after Deadspin, and it was clearly meant to be like, Deadspin is big right now, so right. here's a book that you have to do from that, and so therefore right. it had certain parameters that it had to hit certain expectations that it had to hit it was right. fine, I'm happy, I'm happy with the book it's incredibly dated, it's written about sports in 2007 it's <laughs> incredibly dated, but uh, I would say, generally speaking, I, I stand behind it, and I, I think it's okay, but certainly it didn't feel like something that was written specifically for me, and kind of like this right. thing that I wanted to do, and so for this like, this is this is something that I am much more personal about. You know, I did entirely for myself, and so on. Because of that, I find, and you and I were both in the situation like, you know what? It's possible that no one will ever see this other mm-hmm. than other than Alan Sepinwall or my wife. And uh, yep. and so, at a, a certain level, the fact that it's getting published at all, I find myself just kind of grateful for it. Yes. So like whatever happens, it just kind of feels like. Yeah, you know, I hope this goes great. I'm excited about it, but like, people will see it, and that's kind of all I can ask.
1: Absolutely, I, I I felt. I mean, like I said, you know, you can say all this intellectually, and I know that the book the book did well. And if the book had had not done well, I I'm not claiming that I would have been like, whoop, that's fine. But I do think that I did my best to have very controlled expectations. Um, And I think, you know, I I have actually, you know, I have a contract for uh, another book. And I think one of the things that is making getting that book, you know, working on that book complicated is that I will never feel quite as much like I can do whatever I want as I did writing the first one. And that's not because the publisher or my editor or or my agent or anybody like that is over my shoulder saying, write like this again. It's that weird feeling of like, do you want to write something really different from the first book? Do you want to write something similar to the first book? And it's really hard to think of it not relative to the your first novel. So that's that becomes more complicated. And in some ways, when I had so little at stake and no reason to think that anybody would ever read it or care about it, it was easier, right? Um, if your first book does well, and, and this is not a complaint, right? Poor oh, me. My right. first book did well. It's not that. It's that in this specific way, it's it it puts you in a curious position, which is one of the things that I'm sort of working through right now.
0: This is. I feel like this is the closest. Uh, it, it's like being a rock band that has like a debut. <laughs> like how how does Zirvana uh, do? Uh, go after Nevermind. Uh,
1: there's sorry. a there's a there's a reason. Like I would not make that comparison, but of course. But when th- there is a. There is a thing that happens when people become familiar with something when they weren't familiar with anything. And in fiction, people didn't know anything about me. And now they know something about me. It's not that different from if I did a second podcast after the one that I have now. It's all like now people think of you in the podcasting realm as the person who did that. And so, you know, sometimes if I go on a show where I where I swear... People are really surprised because they think of me in the the context of um, an NPR podcast where I never swear. So,
0: okay, so this brings us to the Jenna Bush moment, uh, where Jenna sure. Bush picks you as uh, to to be on the day show. Did you have any idea that it happened like that? Was it brewing up to something? How'd that process go, and uh, uh, did it freak you out?
1: So the only thing I knew was that a, a few weeks I think before that, before I found out about that. Um, they had told me, you know, they were saying, like, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do this. And I think they said we sent it to, you know, Jenna Bush for her her book club on the Today Show. But it was one of those things that was just a million different kind of, you know, here's all the things that we're trying. It would be great if one of these things came through. Right. Um, and then probably a, a, a week or so, week and a half before the book came out uh, they, I got a text from my, uh, my publicist and she said, can we call you, uh, in 10 minutes, me and Sarah, my editor. And I was like, well, it's either something good or something bad. And I don't know what would be bad at this point. So maybe it's something good. Uh, and they called and they told me that that was going to happen. And I think it was hard for me at that point to think about like how big of a deal was that actually going to be? Cause I, I, I just didn't, just didn't know i don't think um but i was very excited and the first you know the first thing was like oh god i have to go be on television um and but it was it was wonderful and actually the day that they announced it on the today show i happened to be visiting my parents and so um so i went over and i said oh you know we have to we have to turn on the today show and the book had just come out when this (laughs) happened the book had just come out so they knew it was something about the book but i said you know i think they thought it was going to be like a glancing mention or something like that i said we have to turn on the today show and they you know she lifts up this box and there's like a zillion copies of the book (laughs) under this box it was that part was very wild
0: oh oh, that's that's sad i i don't even know your parents and that was satisfying to me
1: so It it was it was pretty great i mean i don't think i ever i don't think you ever get over and i certainly never got over the desire to to make your parents have that like nice moment so
0: I, am I'm, I'm really hoping, I think more than anything, I'm really hoping that the, uh, that my book does well, because, uh, I, I've an early, I got an early copy of it, and it's my mom, hey, mom, would you like to read it? I can actually just put it and send it to your Kindle if you'd like to read it. And she said, well, you know, I've got a lot of books in the queue right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: like, okay.
0: well, all right, well, uh,
1: okay, oh, well, wow, just wait till the galley comes out. Oh, amazing, I amazing. Uh, I, you know, I did, I did find that there were certain people who who wanted to read it, but who wanted to wait for like a real book, like a who wanted to have a real book in their hand, who didn't read it when I had various digital, you know, versions of it. So,
0: I I I, I thank you for trying to help me on that one. Sure, <laughs> 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 be the galley. Sure. Um, if if she's not, like my my, my, my my one last thing about my mom, she has become an active uh uh anti-trump twitter person she's gotten like suspended by twitter for like like twice for yelling at ted cruz like it's like a it's like a wild thing that's happened in the last year and i went the other day and i realized that like now she's being followed by all these people with hashtag resistance hashtags so i was like okay i mean i guess i guess the pandemic is you gotta keep busy somehow
1: um Uh, yeah sounds like she's finding her niche
0: Yes, I guess so. Okay, so the last thing is, is I'm I'm curious. I I was going to ask you about working the next book, but frankly, I don't want to put any more pressure on you on that uh, than you <laughs> already have. So we'll just we'll just know that one is coming, and I will ask you no further questions about it. Uh, one of the things I I guess my last thing is really just kind of a general piece of advice you might have for anyone that said that's going through this process or is even starting to write. Uh, the advice I've always given people is uh, has been mostly. A, don't stare at the Amazon and Goodread pages. (laughs) Like, don't do that. It'll make you crazy. But also, the notion that, frankly, particularly people that have never had a book before, there's this idea that, like, oh, when my book comes out, my life will be different uh-huh. and it will be this seismic thing. Hey, did that, I mean, if there's ever anyone that feels like that would have happened to, it would be you because you were, you you've had this other field and now you're known. Uh, it's very strange for me to people that I've talked to people that love your book. I'm like, you know, she's done a whole bunch of stuff for like quite <laughs> some time uh, before that. So I feel like, yeah, going back to the Nirvana thing, like, Oh, bleach is awesome. Like bleach <laughs> is great. Man. And, so they're like, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, cool guy. And, uh, so anyway, the point is that like, do you, do a, do you have, did you have, did your life feel any different now? And B, do you have like an advice for someone like me or anyone that's kind of, kind of, kind of going through this process?
1: It does feel different. And I would say the biggest thing that feels different to me is that I, I like having more than one thing that I'm doing creatively. Um, and look, NPR has always been great about leaving me lots of opportunities to try different things. And I've been able to be on the radio and do a lot of writing and other stuff. But having a thing that is totally separate from my job, that is an outlet for, for me and something that I can be proud of that is not reliant on my relationship with that one particular job, um, feels better to me, um, because I am a creative person and I never want that all to be tied up in one place, um. In terms of advice, you know, you mentioned it, and everybody says it, and people don't do it. But you gotta not read Goodreads, man. (laughs) Now, look, Amazon is one problem. Amazon, you get a lot of, um, Amazon is is a problem because you get a lot of, like, (laughs) book was delivered late, one star. Those, (laughs) you cannot do anything about it, right? You also get more of the... Um, book-contained swearing one star. Um, I've gotten quite a bit of that. Uh, so the Amazon reviews are more tricky because often they're not about the book. <laughs> they're not about how good the book was. They'll be about other things entirely. So Amazon is is not good to read. But um, Goodreads in particular often does have really attentive, intelligent readers who really care about reading, which means if they don't like your book, they're they're probably going to say it in a really articulate way, or they might. Um, And that's fine. No book is for everyone, right? The book has certain things about it that, you know, make it what it is. And I like those things and I wanted it that way, but it is not for everyone. And I don't think it benefits me. Like it benefits me to have a general sense of like, people who don't like it, here's what they don't like about it. Like, I think that's that's fair. But I don't need to read every individual person's opinion. It doesn't have that doesn't cumulatively have value for me as much as it has the the ability to just depress me and make me not prepared to work. So um, I really do believe in controlling your your intake of uh, feedback to what you think will be constructive. Um, I think some people who developed their creativity on the internet as you did and as i did still have a weird feeling that you're supposed to commune with all your readers (laughs) that that's that that's what makes the internet great is that you listen to everything anybody has to say and that's like other than trolls right other than trolls you listen to everything anybody has to say you take all the feedback you you make yourself available um but you really can't, you really can't. You really can't be that available. And uh, and you're gonna scroll through the hashtag for the book on Instagram, and you're gonna be tempted to stop and look at every single review. Uh, and no matter how hard you try, you'll see some good ones and some bad ones anyway, just through life being what it is. And anything that's great, when somebody raves about your book, you're probably gonna find out about it from somebody. Uh, who will send it to you or make sure you know about it if it's a particularly lovely, you know rave. Um, but you really have to control how much you let all that stuff get into your head, I think
0: but the, the best advice I can give to anyone if you do want to good uh, go on goodreads, do what I did and not write a book for ten years. yeah, and then go read all the reviews you've missed over the last ten years. Oh. Because I have no emotional connection to the book anymore. <laughs> like uh-huh. those books, I don't even remember. Like the things they're mad about, I literally half the time don't even know what they're talking about. Like I don't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like that's, I guess what the idea that uh, um, all, all bad reviews, it's uh, what tragedy plus time equals. Yeah. <laughs> can make don't, it.
1: Don't, uh, don't do it, man. Stay off of that Goodreads. Don't do it.
0: Linda Holmes, thank you so much for being the first guest. On the People Still Read Books podcast. Uh, I actually do not need any of the guests now. This is all the advice that I needed. This is everything <laughs> that I had. I'm completely uh, set now. Uh, so, if there's so, so, but, and so we, we can find where, where can everybody find you to uh, just at the Evy Drake, uh, at the Every Drake starts over hashtag on Instagram, apparently, is the yes, best way to find you. <laughs> okay.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Linda Holmes, and you can find me on Instagram at Linda Holmes 97, and uh, you'll get a lot of uh, pictures of my dog.
0: Yeah, that's we. I, the world needs the world needs the positivity of Linda Holmes and the and the Linda Holmes dog. Uh, thank you. The book is Every Drake Starts Over. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. But you don't need me to tell you that because you wrote it. So, listeners, you let you know that it's a wonderful book. Linda, thank you very much. And uh, now, when, when, uh, maybe we'll come back. Uh, uh, I'll have you back on after the uh, book comes out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you were wrong about everything. everything.
1: I would lo- <laughs> I would love to do that. Love to come back.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you, Linda. Be safe.
1: All right, bud. Thanks. You too.